0: This is Illinois in Focus, powered by the Centersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about COVID-19 mitigation, lawmakers calling for transparency, and the state's ongoing fiscal problems. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and Executive Editor Dan McCaleb about the cancellation of fall session, the governor's COVID-19 management, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by the Centersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug,
1: publisher of the Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at the centersquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer's sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com,
0: thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Governor J.B. Pritzker used his daily COVID-19 briefing Thursday to scold local leaders around the state who are not enforcing his restrictions. Kevin Bessler files this report. All regions around the state have some form of restrictions, with all the bars and restaurants in the state forbidden to serve customers indoors. Pritzker pleaded with local leaders who are turning a blind eye to businesses who ignore his restrictions.
2: Those who have flat out told the businesses in their communities to ignore what their local and state public health departments are telling them, what is it going to take? to get you to be a part of the solution.
0: Roger Romanelli, executive director of the Fulton Market Association in Chicago, says outdoor dining is unrealistic.
2: The vast majority of restaurants in
1: our city that are surviving right now, are struggling to survive, they can't put tents
0: outside. They don't have the money, they don't have the space. Romanelli says restaurants in Illinois are being
2: unjustly singled out. I'm
0: Kevin Bessler. Illinois' COVID-19 fatality rates plummeted according to analysis by Wirepoints. But there's still signs policies are failing where helps needed most. Wirepoints President Ted Dabrowski's team crunched the numbers from three months early in the pandemic and found the case fatality rate was just under 5%. From the last three months, the case fatality rate is 0.9%. As a
3: public, we're running scared because all we hear is this massive increase in cases. But you'll never hear the governor talk about how the fatality rate has collapsed. And that's that's an important thing for people to know.
0: He said it's clear the virus isn't deadly in younger people, but can be very dangerous for people over 60. And one thing the data shows is where the state continues to fail.
3: Uh, We're eight months into this pandemic. We know where the elderly live. We know um, those the retirement homes where they are Uh, in the month of September and I think part of November, 44 percent of all deaths in Illinois were still in retirement homes. And that's a shocking statistic.
0: Dabrowski said even at the spike of COVID-19 related deaths reported Wednesday, 127 of the 145 were people 60 and older. He said the data shows the state needs to focus more on protecting the elderly as nearly half the deaths continue to be at nursing homes.
3: Uh, what I think the best money would be spent is you know, opening up the economy, opening up schools, and then taking lots of money and protecting the retirement homes. Again, like I said, we know where they are. We know where they live. They need to be protected.
0: Another note he highlights is despite knowing the need, the state hasn't increased the number of hospital beds since June.
3: I I think we shouldn't be surprised that our hospitals are, are being strained because we've done nothing about that. Despite the fact that we know that as we open up the economy, We're susceptible to more cases and more hospitalizations.
0: A bipartisan, bicameral group of lawmakers are putting pressure on legislative leaders to hold joint public hearings of Governor J.B. Pritzker's management of COVID-19. Republican State Senator Sue Rezin and Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said eight months into the pandemic, it's beyond time to hold hearings. Ford said lawmakers are closest to the people and the governor's unilateral actions on unemployment, grant dollar distribution, restaurant regulations, and other things can't continue without oversight. Everything is not about um, dollars, but it is also about how the government imposes uh, rules and restrictions on the public. Rezin said letters back and forth don't work.
3: We need the ability to call a hearing to have the people come and testify so we understand better what's going on. I think there's value because of what we're hearing from our constituents and having this com- back and forth conversation, this dialogue with us.
0: Because of the unknowns early on, the governor's been given great latitude, resin said, but it's time to bring lawmakers into the fold. It's a challenge
3: when in the middle of the mitigation plan, the governor changes the rules to completely shut down indoor dining about four weeks ago and tells us afterwards.
0: Ford said there's a lot more knowledge about the virus now eight months in. Restaurants now know how they can have a safe place. Schools and, and coaches and, and hospitals and nursing homes, they know their needs. We need to hear from them. We need to hear from them. The two said they have yet to hear back from legislative leaders, and if hearings aren't called, they'll soon plan bipartisan town hall meetings to hear from taxpayers. Across the state, tens of millions of dollars have been released to local health departments to hire and conduct contact tracing. Now nearly eight months into the pandemic, nearly one in every COVID case is not being contacted. State data provided late last week shows fewer than 54% of positive cases have been interviewed. Fewer than 57% of case contacts have been interviewed. Even the attempt rates around 70%. Governor J.B. Pritzker said they're building it out, but they need more resources.
2: Do we need more? Yes. I mean, the the case numbers have gone up, uh, and so we'll continue to look at how we might be able to afford hiring more uh, and how we might use more volunteers. State
0: Representative Tim Butler tested positive for the virus October 24th and said he still has not been contacted. If we have so many people uh, that have that have not been followed up on, it really uh, questions the, the entire system, to be honest with you um as to as to how well it's working how how well it's not working butler said it's another example in a series of issues where there's need for public hearings to dodge and weave the press you know the governor can do that pretty easily or not answer questions or move on to it's a whole different story to have the the heads of your agencies
2: before uh, a committee of the legislature for an extensive setting
0: it's unclear when lawmakers will return to Springfield. Leaders in the House have refused to call in-person hearings on other issues out of concerns of spreading COVID-19. Illinois has the second-worst recovery of unemployment in the nation. Consumer finance website Wallet Hub said despite the U.S. dealing with an uptick of COVID-19 cases, new unemployment claims decreased from the week before nationwide. Illinois saw a decrease of new filings by 2,800, but still saw more than 70,000 initial unemployment claims last week. All neighboring states have among the best recovery, with Kentucky ranked seventh best. With the fall session of the Illinois General Assembly canceled, Governor J.B. Pritzker could call for a special session, but he hasn't indicated such, despite the state's billions-dollar budget hole. Pritzker said lawmakers are gonna have to come together at some point to deal with the budget. There's
2: more to be done than just trimming. Now we're gonna have to make some serious and frankly painful cuts. Uh, those aren't things that I can do alone. Uh, the legislature has to be right there with us.
0: Governor said he's working to shore up the state's finances to repair Illinois's worst in the nation credit rating. I'm
2: very, very focused on making sure that uh, our credit rating agencies don't downgrade the state of Illinois He said
0: he's working with legislative leaders heading into when they return in January and didn't indicate if he'd call them back for a special session, as he has the power to do. State Representative Avery Bourne said there needs to be a session to deal with a myriad of things sooner rather than later.
3: Um, Not the least of which is the checks and balances that need to occur on coronavirus response.
0: Bourne and State Representative Mark Batnik speculated what canceled session signals to them.
3: But if it's canceled, I think that's a strong signal that the speaker is weak.
0: Yeah, I'll jump
1: in I, to say, to, to uh, echo, if, if session is canceled, I think it means he doesn't have 60 votes is what I think it means.
0: Lawmakers aren't scheduled back in Springfield until just before the new General Assembly is seated in January. Even before the defeat of the progressive income tax, the Pritzker administration said there would have to be tax increases if the measure didn't pass. It's unclear the prospects of that happening during a possible lame duck session. In promoting the income tax change, Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton in September said its failure would mean increased taxes.
3: Lawmakers will be forced to consider raising income taxes on all Illinois residents by at least 20%.
0: A week after the progressive income tax failure, State Representative Mike Zaleski couldn't say what the prospects are for that discussion. He said there are still unknowns, like if the federal government will provide aid to states like Illinois. I don't know that we're in a position to simply say, uh, we're only gonna have that conversation about raising taxes. We're only gonna have a conversation about cuts. Representative Bourne said, even if an income tax increase were floated, it may sink.
3: I'm not sure that Speaker
4: Madigan has the political capital capital to be reelected as Speaker, much less pass an income tax. And I think the voters were very clear on Tuesday that they
3: are sick and tired of tax increases, specifically income tax increases, being the only answer that House Democrats and the governor have to get us out of our fiscal mess.
0: Illinois is among 11 states the group multi-state considers at significant risk for increased business taxes. Members of the committee investigating Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan's conduct in the ComEd bribery scheme differ on the timeliness of issuing subpoenas. The Illinois House Special Investigating Committee Republican member Tom Demmer said it's been more than 40 days since the committee last met. He said it's beyond time to issue subpoenas for Madigan and others to testify. Who we know have relevant and important information that is necessary for our committee to conduct its investigation in a thorough, complete and fair way. ComEd admitted in a different committee hearing that it paid $1.3 million over nine years to associates of Madigan in an effort to influence the speaker. Committee chairman Chris Welch said they're waiting for documents from ComEd. He also had concerns about meeting in person amid COVID-19. As to the allegations that Democrats are protecting Madigan, Welch said that's insulting. We've done everything that the Republicans have asked us to do uh, since day one. Uh, just not as fast as they would like because they would like to play politics with it Welch anticipates documents to be compiled and possibly released either late this week or early next week it's unclear when the committee will meet again those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois, find more online at thecentersquare.com coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb this is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com I'm Greg Bishop
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois in Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, joined by Dan McHale, executive editor of the Center Square. Dan, how are you today?
4: Doing well today, Chris. You?
1: Doing fine. Trying to make sense of what's going on here in Illinois over the next three weeks with regard to my ability to move around freely. Uh, COVID mitigation, which kind of got lost maybe just a little bit in the – public discussion as we wound our way through election week is back and it's it's back with a vengeance uh in illinois and in other places obviously around the united states why don't you give us an update on sort of where we stand we're talking about this in the context of governor pritzker's comments on wednesday
4: what does it mean Anyone who's been paying t- attention has seen that um, COVID-19 infection rates have been on the rise for several weeks um, in, in Illinois. Hospitalizations have been on the rise. Um, unfortunately, um, uh, what that means for Governor J.P. Pritzker is is sounding like more restrictions. Um, he sounded Wednesday dangerously close to implementing a full-on stay-at-home order, It was only a recommendation at this point he asked um illinois residents to stay at home for the next three weeks except except for vital services such as you know grocery shopping or going to see your doctor or whatever uh it was not in order um but i am worried that he might do it again which could be i mean it was devastating for small local business owners back in march when it was first put into place um, we've, we've gradually learned, you know, how to successfully live with this thing. You know, the, the, the major grocery stores have been open um, the entire time. Uh, they've been able to manage without any outbreaks at, you know, the Walmarts or the jewels of the world. Um, so uh, uh, we've got to be careful or we've got to pay close attention um, because if Governor Pritzker puts the uh, a new stay-at-home order in place, the impact on businesses and employees would be just brutal.
1: And ultimately this is what amounts to be a, a soft lockdown. And I think that there's been so much uh, static, you know, against uh, the against, uh, executive orders that this is probably the safest path for, for him to tread without, you know, creating massive backlash from small business owners, restaurateurs. and, you know, people that are really trying to make things happen on Main Street. And, and it, it is, the language is different than, say, mid-March, but I think the implications are largely the same.
4: So restaurants and bars are already closed to in-person dining. You can't walk into a restaurant anywhere in Illinois unless the restaurant's bucking the order, which we have found that in some uh, communities that is the case uh, because they won't survive if they don't, uh, open, but under under J.B. Pritzker's orders right now, restaurants and bars aren't supposed to be allowing uh, in-person um, dining. Um, they can allow outdoor dining, but of course, it's November in Illinois. You and I are both in Northern Illinois. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of people going to restaurants to sit outside uh, and eat right now. It, But anyway, if he takes this emergency order even further, it's the local mom-and-pops, the local retailers um, uh, that would be impacted by it. Back in March and April, when the first uh, emergency order shutting down the state went into place, unemployment here and across the country skyrocketed. We've been slowly, gradually getting that unemployment number down. Um, But heaven forbid that we go into a full lockdown and that number goes up again these people might not have jobs ever to return to well
1: yeah and, and i mean and at the, in the period of time um you know in which you know we're talking about this it extends into Thanksgiving and so you know there's the potential uh, you know issue with with gatherings of families and and that you know that's going to affect really every illinois i mean Thanksgiving is is my favorite holiday i mean and there's a you know, it's the I I think it's just simply the the, the best day of the year, um, but beyond that, you know, you've got the Black Friday weekend, and you know, from a merchant standpoint, Cyber Monday, uh, you know, is is really not not going to be compromised by this. E-commerce will continue to have its moment, but there is a day that is in sort of in that window, and it's it's a small business focused uh, uh, day, you know, of of uh, holiday shopping, and th- that is a day that typically has been focused on trying to allow main street to have its moment. And for the small, you know, people own candle shops, people who own little, you know, oil dispensaries. I mean, like, uh, you know, cooking oils and things like that. I think about some, you know, some of the main streets in the suburbs and, and some of the smaller owned businesses or independently owned businesses. um, Not just in in the greater Chicago area, but really across the state. And that's going to affect them.
4: Yeah, and, and let me take this moment, too, to encourage, please, uh, you, as, as bad as small businesses have been impacted by the pandemic this year, please shop locally. Uh, you know, yeah, it's convenient to go on um, Amazon. It's it's convenient to maybe walk into Walmart and do your grocery shopping and Christmas shopping, you know, in one outing. Uh, but don't forget your local small business retailers the folks that you you just mentioned the the shoe sales the you know, the down shoe salesmen the, the the record stores that are downtown things like that spend some some time and money with them because they really need it and their employees really need it one of the things that you know that that sort of uh, unearthed
1: itself this week was you know a report in the center square i thought did a very nice job on this about how covid-19 cases are being traced or in in the case of what the data reveals are not being traced. What's the grip on
4: that? Yeah, so the goal was to, when someone tests positive, um, if that person cooperates, um, and it needs to be a personal choice, if that person cooperates, they tell um, health officials, okay, I've been in contact, close direct contact, less than six feet uh, distancing um, with person A, person B, person C. And then the health officials are supposed to contact person A, person B, person C, ask them to quarantine because they could have been exposed uh, to COVID 19, and they could, if they were exposed to COVID 19 and they contracted COVID 19, they could spread it to someone else in their family or someone else they're in close contact with. But uh, we're finding that uh, barely um, 50% of that contact tracing uh, effort, um, uh, f- le- uh, about 50% of people who contract COVID 19 are only, only 50%, excuse me, are being interviewed. By contact tracers, so it's obviously uh, it, it needs to be a much higher percentage of that if contact tracing is gonna is gonna work in terms of um, reducing uh, or slowing the spread of COVID 19.
1: Anecdotally, um, my oldest daughter, who's uh, wrapping up a, a degree in the sciences, uh, applied for one of the contact tracing positions uh, simply because you know it was it was in line with her career. And it was you know I mean it was really right up her alley. Um, she made that application, I want to say it was in May, and she didn't hear back until she was already, uh, had already returned uh, to her university out of state. And looking at the numbers of people that they have hired, there seems to be, you know, uh, there, well, there's a gap there. there there's, there's a gap from the target number of, of contact tracers that this that the state, you know, intended to hire and that Governor Pritzker said would be hired. And the administrative aspect of that is sounds where the snag has occurred that, that the state has been slow to disperse this money to the local counties. and it's the local counties that are doing this hiring. Obviously, local county revenue is impacted, so they didn't have the ability to sort of, you know uh, lean forward with the expense of the, of the contact tracers. How big of a mess is this at this point? It, you know, in, in your estimation?
4: Well, I'd compare it to, to the Unemployment Insurance Office. You know, when uh, when hundreds of thousands of Illinoisans filed for uninsurance claims back in March and April and May, uh, the state, again, was very slow to respond, to add staff um, to the offices that are supposed to process those insurance claims. And still to this day, um, uh, uh, the state is slow in... Um, in one responding to all claims we've we've heard from people who've gone months uh without their unemployment benefits simply because the state hasn't responded of course we've talked before on this uh this show about um fraudulent claims for unemployment insurance and the state being slow to respond to the fraudulent claims well it's just the same thing here with the with with the, the contact tracers um we're now eight months into this pandemic why haven't we hired the number of people that the state feels we need um, to get a handle on it
1: Um, yeah that's that's a fair question I mean on the IDES uh, matter I mean there was a fraudulent so I've had firsthand experience here there was a fraudulent claim filed under my name and uh, I mean I reported it immediately and that was in the middle of September you know here we are making our way into the middle of November I've received phone calls from the state uh, only two, um, you know, with regard to contact me about the fraudulent claim, which I've received a letter that says that my claim has been canceled, but I've not spoken with anybody at IDES about the ramifications of a false claim being made. I'd like to have that conversation, I'd like to understand that. Um, but, you know, the calls that I received came from a spam number. Um, my cellular carrier identified the, the 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 dial out number or the, you know, the incoming call number as being um, spam. So I would have to imagine that you know I'm not I'm not alone with that. Uh, I have a a, a pretty well used service. I would say a class A service in terms of s- cellular carrier, and um, that doesn't seem to uh, have been repaired in in any meaningful way.
4: I'm curious about your daughter who applied for the contact tracing job. Did she was she did the state respond? Did she get hired? What, uh, what happened there? Well,
1: the state offered her the opportunity actually, ultimately it was the County that offered her an opportunity to come in and interview the position, but she was already back at, at school. Gotcha. You know, she applied in, in, in May at the, at the literally within 48 hours of the announcement of this massive program that the state was going to launch. And it wasn't until September uh, that she had heard back uh, about the opportunities. So you know, as we look at this thing and 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 just kind of watching, you know, how the state of Illinois has responded, because there's been plenty of criticism from Governor Pritzker about the national response and the Trump administration's, um, you know, uh, pathway to making sure that you know that that the right pieces are in place to to deal with COVID nineteen. The state's pathway has been really. Uh, I think open to criticism and, uh, in some cases, you know, an abject failure. I mean, if that is the case in, in the, in the County where I live and I live in McHenry County, which is, you know, a County 300,000 plus people. If it took three plus months for, for the interview to occur, um, That's a long time. And there's a lot of ground that was frankly, that was that was lost. And if now, you know, here we sit in in mid-November and we're still X number of people short from the anticipated uh, number of contact tracers required. And the existing contract tracers are only attempting 70 percent, which which the Center Square reported this week and are only successful on, you know, what slightly less than 50 percent. That is not effective. And clearly the the methodology that we've used to make uh, this program work, um, not efficient. And again, not effective.
4: Yeah. Well, as you said, uh, before you start criticizing others, as governor Pritzker did with the Trump administration and the federal response, you should make sure your own house is order is in order, excuse me. And obviously Illinois house is not in order on n- multiple fronts. Um, and it's it's, it's kind of sad, uh, Governor Pritzker every day during his press conferences, you know, say, we're gonna use science and data uh, to, to guide our decisions. But if you don't have the the personnel there um, to do the contact tracing, how is the science and data gonna help?
1: Oh, well, yeah, I think that the, the short answer to that is that it, 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 it can't. Um, another thing that's sort of like sort of, you know, leaning forward into what's next, you know, very, interesting timing with regard to the announcement that a COVID-19 vaccine will be readily available. I believe that word came out um, on Monday of this week um, within five, you know, five days of, or six days of the, uh, of the election. And this is, you know, a huge national election issue, but here in Illinois, we've got uh, another problem to solve. And that problem is how do we distribute uh, the COVID vaccine here in the state because that will be a responsibility of the state. So what, what is Illinois doing with that at this
4: point? Well, first let me focus on the, the one bit of good news we had this week. Uh, yeah, Pfizer and BioNTech uh, did come out this week and said um, uh, in phase three of their trials on their vaccine, um, uh, the vaccine has been more than 90% effective on the tens of thousands uh, of people who volunteered to receive it. Um, they hope to get emergency authorization to distribute it nationwide, perhaps as early as this month. And uh, several million um, doses of it could be available this year. So that's the good news. The The bad news is, here in Illinois, we're going to rely on the same state executives who couldn't hire the number of contact tracers that they needed, who couldn't um, ramp up staffing at IDES to make sure uninsurement. uninsurement excuse me, unemployment insurance benefits were processed in a fair amount of time. We're going to rely on that state to figure out how to distribute it. Now, the good news is it looks like they're going to the private sector. They did put out a request for bids uh, this week, uh, seeking bids from the private sector um, to distribute it. Uh, Anyone, I think, in the private sector is going to be able to be more efficiently and more quickly distribute something like a vaccine than a state government is. What we don't know now is who that vendor is going to be, how much it's going to cost, um, but we do need to move forward with it, absolutely. When there's a vaccine that's available, let's get it to pe- the, the people who need it first, um, you know, the, the health care workers, the most vulnerable, the elderly, uh, those with comorbidities, and then let's get, it at, let's get the second wave out as quickly as we can. So hopefully um, the state makes the, a good decision and hires a company that's going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm completely in agreement on that. I mean, it's the you know the the vaccine news. I think buoyed a lot of people's spirits. It absolutely put a lift in the stock market this week as well. I mean, we had some pretty amazing um, changes to the positive at the beginning of the week, uh, and and really they've they've kind of held, which is which is which is terrific. I mean, the you know the, this, if if Wall Street feels like this is going to get us up and out. Um, I, w- I would tend to agree with that sentiment, but the the reality of it is that uh, the vaccine is great. Getting the vaccine to the people would be greater. So we'll have to see what you know how well the state of Illinois manages this. And and frankly, fingers crossed because you know that that's what we all want. And we, we you know the vaccine allows some some resemblance of normal to return. Uh, and for it to return relatively soon. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, who has been a very quiet man, um, suspiciously quiet, uh, came out this week also and said that his feeling was that the entire country could be um, handled by April now, which is uh, a, a very, very different song from the uh, Dr. Fauci songbook.
4: <laughs> well there was an election somewhere in, in, in the middle of all that
1: i may, I may have missed that danny <laughs>
4: um but you know april that that would be great uh, um, we need to open this country back up we need to open illinois back up um for the sake of our, ourselves and our economy and our children um we need to get kids back in school um so if we could get you know, everyone or everyone who agrees to be vaccinated by April, that would be an amazing thing.
1: You know, back here in Illinois, um, the the ramifications of, of COVID absolutely, you know, have uh, have ripple waves uh, over state budget. And uh, Fitch, the credit rating agency, came out with some guidance this week. Uh, it seems to be in line with something that we had been foretold uh, by uh, Deputy Governor Juliana Stratton. If you don't like our progressive income tax idea, you're really not going to like the idea of a 20% tax increase. Really does feel like, and I'm talking about income, on income tax. It definitely feels like we're headed in that direction at this point.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, the the, the state for years have, has mismanaged um, its its budget. It's uh, it hasn't paid its bills. It's it's let uh, pension pension costs get out of uh, control. Um, and now here we are, eight months in the pandemic. No budget cuts at the state level. Uh, essentially relying on the flat income tax, uh, changing to a, 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 a progressive income tax. Voters soundly rejected that last week. The budget, the state budget, also relied on um, uh, five billion dollars in borrowing, hoping that the federal government would step in and bail them out. That hasn't happened, and doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, so now. The state has essentially two choices, raise other taxes or raise the flat income tax or cut uh, cut costs. It absolutely must cut costs, and it must address pensions. $140 billion of unfunded pension liability, one in every four do- tax dollars that we send to Springfield goes to pay um, people who are no longer providing services in the state. Um, uh, pensions are unaffordable, and we need to reform pensions, something that Governor J.B. Pritzker and the Democratic controlled House uh, and Senate have refused to address, but it's staring them right in the face now. It's got to get done. know, this
1: has been uh, one of the weirder legislative years in, in the history of Illinois, and, and that, that, that reasons. I mean, it's been one of the weirder years in the history of Illinois. Um, one thing that has happened here that hasn't happened necessarily in other states around the country is that the legislature itself has played a much smaller role in the decision-making of uh, how to address COVID, which whether by design or whether by default has allowed Governor Pritzker to be really the guy alone um, making a lot of decisions about, you know, what will and will not happen or, you know, lockdowns and, you know, business closures and and certainly, you know, the implementation of, of uh, mitigation um, Uh, efforts that you know that have reduced our ability to be free and to move around the legislature had a scheduled session here at the end of november and it was announced i believe it was announced on wednesday that that session wasn't happening so um so far this year i don't know what the total number of session days has been but since the state was effectively locked down you know Around St. Patrick's Day, I, I believe that they've been in session, maybe a grand total of six or seven days, something, something in that ballpark. Yeah, I think
4: you're being generous to them there. I think it's I think it's fewer than that. I think maybe, you count them on, maybe it was three or four kind of on one hand. But, yeah, they were supposed to have a veto session uh, post-election this month. To deal with all kinds of uh, issues, it's not like there's a lack of things to work on for the legislature. The budget that's six billion dollars out of out of whack that we just talked about. The legislature needs to make decisions on on uh, reducing costs and how to uh, how to manage through the the budget deficit. Um, the legislature should be meeting to discuss uh, Governor Pritzker's emergency powers. Um, uh, in which he he acts like a monarch. Legislature's not checking his powers and hasn't checked his powers since March. Why are they not uh, at least talking about that? You've got got ethics reform that's been hanging out there for years and that should have snowballed during this uh, federal corruption probe uh, into state government, including House Speaker Michael Madigan, um, not dealing with that. Um, But they, you know, they used COVID-19 as an excuse. It's not safe, safe for lawmakers to get together and meet uh, despite the fact that state legislatures across the country have been meeting for months.
1: That's, I think the most galling part of it is that, you know, um, we, I think we like to fancy ourselves as being really, really sophisticated. I mean, you know, Illinois is the, the big blue shining beacon, you know, in the, in the heartland of the country. Um, and around that that idea is that we, you know, we do things, we do things better. We do things differently. We do things, you know, that are, that are more advanced, that we're, we're smarter people, but somehow, some way we have not been able to get our legislature into a room to have meaningful conversations about what's happening with, with COVID-19 or any of the pieces that would ripple out of the reality of COVID-19, this state budget hole, let's pull on that just a little bit more. Do you have a, a handle on the, the budget gap as the Center Square reported on that recently? I believe we did.
4: Yeah, it's it's uh, $6 billion. The, the, when, when lawmakers met in uh, late May, uh, the few days that they did meet, they uh, put together and passed uh, a budget that Pritzker s- uh, signed that relied on $1.5 billion in progressive income tax revenue increases borders okay, well decided last month. That's not yeah, going to happen. That so that won't be there, right? And and it the rest of it was they borrowed, uh, they were going to borrow money uh, to fill the rest of the six billion dollar gap, hoping that the federal government would step in with a new uh, COVID nineteen bailout, um, which and that hasn't happened yet, um, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen.
1: And we're it, basically you, borrowing money at at uh, payday loan rates. I mean, what, we you know we're we, you know as far as. State fiscal, you know, responsibility, and um, we, we're 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 the deadbeat uncle. Yeah, uh, you, you
4: referenced the Fitch report that came out uh, this week, where it, it essentially said, of course, keep in mind, Fitch represents invest investors. Investors want their money back. Of so, when Illinois borrows um, uh, money. Um, the investors expect to re- get a return on that money. And because uh, Illinois' credit rating is so poor, Fitch has them as a BBB minus with a negative rating outlook, which is one, uh, one slot above junk bond status, um, Illinois taxpayers have to pay higher interest rates on that loans. So every time we go out and borrow money like we did for this year's, um, this year's budget to make it balanced, we're paying significantly higher than the money we're borrowing because we have to pay interest on the returns.
1: One thing that, 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 that didn't happen um, in the state you know, during COVID was uh, furloughing of state employees. I mean, you know, unlike uh, states of similar size and, and scope, uh, the state of Illinois, which has a significant uh, role of employees, did not let people go. Um, of course, I'm not an advocate for sort of mass, you know, at mass exodus of of, of staffing, you know, in, in any level, even in the public sector. Um, but from a costing standpoint, you know, Governor Pritzker has talked about sort of the cupboard being left bare uh, by former Governor Bruce Rauner. I'm not a believer of that. that our state government was already very very large we have the largest Secretary of State's office in the United States by headcount
4: and how many how many months were the Secretary of State's offices those, those local driving bureaus shut down for um, where you know, the, the employees there were still getting paid but they weren't going to the office at all
1: right and it was and it was it was it was quite a while and, and now even 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 today you know the the services that are available in the Secretary of State's office are, are diminished. Um, but, you know, there were no meaningful cuts made and that, and that's the, that that's, that's, I think, you know, one of the biggest contributing factors to unrest or unhappiness around what is being, uh, being done at the, at the state level with regard to managing the finances of the state.
4: All right. And, and again, just to bring in other states, examples, even blue states across the country, states with with, other Democratic governors have made drastic cuts, have furloughed employees, have asked, um, uh, have asked administrations to cut salaries of all top uh, paid, paid officials. Not a single one of that, that has happened here in Illinois, despite the fact that we, had a, we have a $6 billion budget deficit. We're borrowing almost $5 billion uh, with hopes of a federal bailout. No consideration on the expense side, none.
1: And that's, and that, and that's, and that's roundly disappointing. Well, you know, the news here isn't, uh, isn't all that, uh, all that hopeful. Um, I mean, and that's, and and that's obviously that's something that we all share in and, and have, a, you know, shared concerned about. Um, nationally, you know, we still have a long way to go with regard to untangling the presidential election as votes continue to be counted or recounted in a number of states around the country. The Illinois vote, is also continues to count. You know, Jim Oberweiss and and Lauren Underwood, you know, in the sixth district, that that's a race that remains unsettled that people have their eyes on. But nationally, uh, Joe Biden, the uh, the the Democrat, uh, former vice president uh, and the uh, Democrat candidate for uh, U.S. president has somehow some way amassed 75 million votes, which would be the most that any presidential candidate in U.S. history has ever received. It's six million more almost than uh, what barack obama received when when he ran uh in, in for the first time uh and uh, donald trump continues to push back on voting methodology in a number of states where does that stand at this point and how do you feel this is going to go at least over the next week
4: uh, it's still ongoing uh it could take more than a week. Um, they're still counting votes and recounting votes in some states. Georgia, for example, there's going to be a uh, an official recount of paper ballots. Um, v- votes have been contested in, uh, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Nevada, in Arizona. I might be missing one or two, um, but there are legal challenges, lawsuits that have been filed uh, because of uh, uh, late-counted uh, mail-in ballots and where the mail-in ballots came from. Um, there are been reports of some districts in some states across the country where voter turnout was between 90 percent and over 100 percent. Is that uh, is that reasonable? Um, so there's there's plenty still going on here, and um, even though Biden has declared victory and given his his initial victory speech, um, we're calling him the presumptive president-elect but are not ready to take that step to go to president-elect yet because of all these voting issues and all these recounts and legal challenges that are out there
1: you know, it, it's it's only 20 years ago that you you wind the clock back to um uh, george w bush uh, versus al gore and, and that was an election that ultimately was decided in you know by vote count in florida that was a painstaking vote count but it took 34 days for that to be settled you know, here it is 20 years later, in theory, our technology is better. I mean, think about your life 20 years ago. Um, The internet, while it did exist, was still something of, um, not not to call it a novelty, but I mean, the number of people that had internet access or even had a home computer in 2000, uh, very different. Uh, Phones didn't have that kind of capacity. And, um, you know, why have we not done a better job Number one, on the technology side of this. And, and, and number two, why do we not have stronger, more clear uh, election laws state by state, having been through this in, in our country's recent past?
4: I'll address the second uh, question first. That is one of the frustrating uh, things about this post-election vote counts is each state um, manages their elections Differently, each state has different rules for uh, early voting for mail-in voting, and of course, this year many states uh, were aggressive in trying to expand their mail-in voting. Um, some states have been doing it for years uh, now. Colorado uh, comes and uh, Washington come to mind, uh, but some states it's relatively new. Uh, so during a pandemic, they they're changing laws, um, and you know local clerks are the ones that count the votes when they come in. Uh, locally. Sometimes there's poor communication between the state and and the the local clerks. Um, And then this massive amounts of mail-in ballots that came in at the last minute, that's confounding some vote counters in in various states. Uh, States have different rules for how long you can accept mail-in votes, whether it be up to election day or even days after an election day. If someone mailed a vote, for example, on election day, how long are you gonna wait for those votes to come in? So it's, it's, there's no doubt it's been frustrating. The different rules in the different states um, are uh, somewhat frustrating. Um, but the fact is we need to count, we need make, make sure the vote count is right. And um, even if it takes more time, uh, we, we do need uh, verification that the vote counts in these closed states are correct.
1: Yeah. I, I can't tell you the, the number of people that I've talked to, you know, in, in the last week about um, just simply about the election and in particular, the way that the networks and uh, more so the Associated Press uh, called races. And, uh, you know, I mean, when you're watching election on election night, you know, it's typically it's the Associated Press goes first and they declare winners and the, and the networks would then follow behind. And, Metropolitan, larger metropolitan newspapers will follow behind, and, and, it, and it serves to validate uh, the Associated Press's call. Um, cl- clearly, there were some presumptive calls. I mean, Arizona comes to mind, um, and then some confusing results: uh, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, North Carolina. North Carolina at one point. You know, it was being reported, you know, on election night that it was uh, leaning uh, very much in uh, vice president, uh, former vice president Joe Biden's direction. And now it looks like it's completely the opposite of that And that where uh, President Trump has, uh, I think, it, you know, as we're discussing this, a lead in the like 70,000 vote lead. Uh, yeah, I, we should be better at this by now, should we not?
4: I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, For reference, we are uh, taping this on uh, Thursday, November 12th um so you know all leads that we talk about are subject to th- that time frame things could change in a in a day or a couple of days whenever uh, you're listening to this but yeah there's no doubt we should be better than that it's 20 it's 2020 you know we've had as you said the internet for decades now um we've had electronic voting machines um in most states for decades now um, we should be much better uh at these counts that's why we need to look into these allegations of fraud Um, uh, and and we need to wait for for those investigations uh, to occur uh, before uh, we determine the winner.
1: Yeah, and I I think one of the biggest frustrations that's been expressed by the the people that I've talked to is simply uh, the media's unwillingness to challenge uh, the vote, Um, you know, and looking at the, you know, sort of looking past the fact that the vote total is so high, and that the uh, percentage of eligible voters voting in some markets is so high, and that there's not really any anomaly around that. I mean, the skepticism, you know, cynicism is one thing, right? Skepticism is is is, is something else, and and I think that the best journalists are skeptical, um, though not cynical. Uh, it just doesn't seem as if there's as much energy around. Getting to the truth of what has happened, state by state, it's not really an Illinois issue, simply because of just the massive vote totals that you know that uh, that, that went the Democrats' way.
4: In the in the presidential election, um, yes, not so much in other down ballot uh, right uh, questions in, in Illinois, but right, yes, yeah, um, if if the Americans elected Joe Biden president. He will be our president. I, he will be President Biden and um, something that all, he'll be all Americans president. But we need to count the votes and look into these um, irregularities uh, before before coming to a conclusion. That's that's just the way it works.
1: Yeah. And I, and I would agree upon that. I did, but there just doesn't seem to be as much energy around that. And the the idea of sort of coronating uh Joe Biden, you know, in the media, um, you know, it just it just seems to connect too closely to the ongoing angst that media has had covering uh, the Trump presidency and uh, unwillingness to hold up two ideas as as being equal. uh, It it strikes me as being intellectually dishonest.
4: Well, let's face it, the CNNs of the world and the MSNBCs of the world and You know, the New York Times, they were actively rooting uh, for Joe Biden to win Uh, when they had the smidgen of information that says that they could declare it for him. They were going to do it um, unashamedly. Um, But, you know, let the process work out, please.
1: Yeah. And I I think there's actually maybe just as much. um, I guess the word would be disappointment around the way that Fox News has 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 covered the election and, and the comments of the president in the uh, in the aftermath of the election so it's it's, a, it's going to be a very very interesting time as you know as we go forward of course you know one of the driving factors up underneath that was simply the polling you know and the way that the polls looked I mean you know heading into election day I think if you you know in that 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 massive aggregate of all polls it was still you know biden plus seven percent what what does that mean I mean most of these polls are not designed, you know, necessarily to forecast a winner and a likelihood of, of winning, but actual like voter sentiment and, um, you know, as it would as it would pertain to the the number of, of votes cast for either candidate, and and it's it it just seems to be wildly wildly off.
4: But if you didn't stop trusting polls after. Uh, Four, or four four years ago, when just about every, not not all, but just about every poll in the country had uh, Hillary Clinton beaten Donald Trump for the presidency. You certainly have to, can't trust them now. Um, there, there were polls that had um, Trump losing in Florida, had polls that had Trump neck and neck with Biden in Texas, had polls Trump losing significantly uh, to Biden in Arizona. Um, none of those Things happen, but as of right now, Trump did lose, is losing Biden, or is losing to Biden in Arizona. But these polls had Biden up by five, six points, um, or, so, or, or, or more, or more, oh, right?
1: Yeah, or more. I mean, in some cases, the uh, you know it was it was it was plus ten. I mean, you know, going into Election Day, they they did a side by side with uh, Biden versus Trump. Um, versus Hillary Clinton versus Trump, and it was a 1% difference. So, you know, on the net, pollsters forecasted this election, predicted this election um, as poorly as they forecasted the 2016 election. Uh,
4: I, I would agree, and I will say that moving forward, I won't have a whole lot of faith in polls. Yeah, I
1: think I agree with you on that. Well, Dan, I think we've, 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 uh, we've sung our song today. It's probably time to move along.
4: Enjoy it as always. Look forward to talking to you next week.
1: Dan, I appreciate it. For Dan McCaleb, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to commentary in the Crosstalk segment of the Illinois in Focus podcast. Now
0: over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the center square in Illinois will be working on next week. Next week, lawmakers won't be coming back to Springfield for fall veto session after all. But there are growing voices demanding there be public hearings into the Pritzker administration's handling of COVID-19. We'll also continue to monitor the impacts of the economy from ongoing COVID-19 mitigation, prohibiting bars and restaurants from allowing indoor service, and other measures. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.